Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and each week I have the pleasure of chatting to guests that inspire me about thriving and surviving in life. This week, my guest is a true inspiration. Her name is Ruth Gilligan. She is an author and an academic. She wrote her first book at the age of 16 and became the youngest person ever to top the number one bestseller list in Ireland. The Butchers, her fifth novel, was published this year. Ruth really is inspirational. She's unassuming and incredibly nice to boot. She would make any mum proud. Enjoy. I am so excited to have my next guest on the show for so many reasons. Um, It's Ruth Gilligan, author, well, novelist, um, academic, and actually the youngest person ever to top the Irish bestsellers list. Um, uh, You're very welcome, Ruth. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. It is super great, actually. It's funny, so far in this podcast, and it's just happened sort of accidentally, um, just people that I'm interested in, there's so many of them actually have been female Irish and authors. We're, we're a fascinating breed, so that doesn't surprise me. Absolutely, absolutely. But this is sort of exceptionally interesting for me. I mean, your your career um, has been exceptional. I mean, you're only, am I right to say, and is it okay to say you're about 32? I am indeed, right? yes. Yeah, I am. Yeah, 32 years of age and you have already published five novels, exceptional by any standards. But your first book you wrote when you were 16. Yeah, that feels like quite a long time ago now. <laughs> I suppose, I, yeah, I suppose it's almost double your your age. Yeah, that's, it that's is. a really good point, actually. Yeah, I've now been writing for half my life. That's a good, that's a good way of thinking that's, of it. That's pretty incredible. So tell me a little bit about that. Did you always love English? Did you like writing stories in school? Um, I know you did it as part of a school project or something. Was that, uh, uh, am I misremembering that? No, no, that's that? absolutely correct. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I guess I'd always been, I mean, I was a very kind of creative child in many ways and speech and drama and writing and singing and playing the piano and just any possible creative outlet that I could find. Um, but yeah, the writing was something that I'd always been into and, you know, writing poems and winning poetry competitions and all that kind of thing. And then basically in my school, um, transition year was compulsory. And one of the things that they did was that we had to do a project on anything we wanted. Um, and we basically had the whole school year to do it. So we had about nine months 
and had to be 50 pages. So people did, you know, my classmates did anything from the Titanic to World War II to JFK, all the usuals. Um, and I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to write a novel and now I have a deadline in the distance. Um, so I remember so clearly, I remember going into Dubray on Grafton Street and buying a book called How to Write a Novel. And I read it. <laughs> and then I sat down and I said, right, I think I'm going to write a novel. Um, and that was kind of it. You know, I really genuinely thought the only person who would ever read it would be my English teacher because she had to read it to, to give it a grade. Um, and I, I thought that would be the end of that. But basically, you know, Dublin being very small, like obviously my parents um, knew about it and they mentioned it to friends of theirs, who mentioned it to friends of theirs. And basically words got round to the one and only Patricia Scanlon, very successful writer in her own uh, right. And she, I know her and I would yeah. love to have her on yes, the show. Yes, oh must. I mean, she is amazing. Bear in mind, I've never met this woman before in my life. Like she didn't know me from, from Adam or from Eve. Um, and she just rang me up one day and she said, hello there, this is Patricia Scanlon. Um, I've read your school project and I think it's a mess, but I think you have a voice and I would like to help you edit it. So, oh, how kind. Yeah, I mean, she was amazing. So I used to go around to her house and she would go through my manuscript and she would go, you know, oh, this bit doesn't really work because, but this bit does work because, and she would kind of coach me through wow. it. And then she sent me away with a load of edits and changes to make. And then I did all of that. And then she gave it to her publishers and they said, wow, yes, we would like to offer you a two book deal. So oh, a two book deal. You got a two book deal at 16 years. I know. It was, I mean, by this point, I was probably 17. But yes, it was completely and all purely 16, because, 17. Yeah, I know, you know. You know. Um, and it was all because of her. Like, I still refer to her as my, my fairy godmother because and she did it, as you said, just purely out of just kindness and, and generosity. Oh, it's so lovely when when people do things like that. I definitely will. I mean, she is on my sort of bucket list of, of guests. And I I do know her, I, you know, and I have met her personally because um, my own book was published by the same publisher. So we actually met sort of ah, last summer okay. um, and I have met her at a couple of events. But, you know, that way, getting brave to ask people, would they, would they be I mean, um, you can guests only on the ask. show? She is really, she's one of the special ones. Like I can't, I still, I still owe it all to she's her. She's super. Yeah. She's super. And I love following her on Twitter as well. Yeah. She's super interesting and um, kind, uh, yeah, right? just very kind yeah. sort of person. Yeah. yeah. And very thoughtful. It's not about herself. She's always kind of thinking of others. Um, so that's kind of pretty, pretty fantastic. And, and actually, you know, just even listening to some of the things you said there, you know, won poetry competitions, did this, did that. And, and you know, the funny thing I was thinking when I asked you to be a guest on the show, um, I, you know, in the bio of this show, you know, in the intro, I say, you know, I, I, I speak to an eclectic mix of guests about thriving and surviving in life. And sort of many of the guests so far have overcome challenges and it has been about you know overcoming challenge and and how they survived and, and ended up thriving afterwards um and i thought gosh you know from what i knew of you i said this is all going to be about thriving you know because <laughs> just you've done you know so many amazing things but then i kind of was doing some um some research and and you know it is funny you know people do think that um and i, I mean you absolutely thrive but it, it it sort of always will look on the outset like um you know as if that is without challenge and i mean 
mean, one thing that jumped out at me was there you were, and I don't know whether this is kind of typically Irish in a way, but there you were, you know, achieving this amazing feat of, you know, not only writing a novel, um, which I'm going to go back there as well, actually, because transition year is considered by so many people as such a waste. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and they do all sorts of, oh, do this, do that, you know, because, and, you know, it shows something about your maturity level or your ambition or whatever to say, well, I'm actually going to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> but I also totally love um, that you went and bought a book on how to write a book. I, that just sings to me. That's exactly how yeah, I do how everything. You know? go about it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some people would just assume you just sit down and do it. But uh, that's me. That's that's what I would do. Here I am learning how to podcast, you know, and what do I do? I go and I read about, you know, all the best ways. How do you do it? How do you set up a home studio? Having said that, I, 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 I took the easy route first. I mean, I'm all for doing the podcast, but I was, you know, I had employed a studio and use a studio, a fabulous editor and all that, but needs must in the midst of COVID-19. Yeah, but I will always do that. And I'm one for taking on challenges myself, but I'll always kind of learn from, I believe, I think maybe sometimes it comes with sort of academia, but it is that thing of standing on the shoulders of others. You know, other people have already learned how to do this so you can learn from them and you build on that. Um, and that kind of brings me um, sort of to another part of the reason I asked you on the show is that um, you were my daughter. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to bring that up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of a funny one uh, for listeners. Um, the multi-talented Ruth was also um, an actor. Um, and I think you were, well, you were right from the age of 12 or 14. We worked together. Yeah, I was, so it was four, I was in it from the age of 12 to 16. So four years. Right. OK. Yeah, you were in it longer than I was. Because mm. um, so so to explain to listeners, um, I played uh, Ruth's mother. Your character was called Laura. I actually. was indeed, yeah. And um, my character uh, was called Tess and we were mother and daughter and it was lovely. Um, and um, your character on the show was quite different to you, really, in a sense. I mean, I think your character went on to get into, did she get into trouble going forward or was yeah, she? Yeah, and you know, she's back as well, which I find the most, that's the most yeah. I've been replaced. <laughs> yeah, you were replaced. That's why. That's right. That's right. And is she a lesbian at my right? I think did apparently I last time I heard that she was a lesbian gym instructor. Yeah, that was... Uh, Okay, yeah, because there's this so such a mix with my family. It's so funny, right? So you were my daughter on air. I don't have any daughters in real life. And this is the reason I brought it up at this point. You'll understand me, Ruth. I My conversations go all over the place. <laughs> it's very much just going with the flow. Um, and that's why I brought it up at this point, because um, if ever I was to have a real daughter, I mean, I would just be so proud <laughs> uh, to have you. My daughter, no, it's so lovely and so wonderful. You were so lovely to work with as a girl. You talked Talk about actually, you know, the fact that when you wrote your book um, that you were precocious. And this brings me back to what I was saying there about um, it not being all plain sailing. I mean, you took some rap and, and some nasty online stuff um, around that time, having written your book. I, I, I know I was reading around it and you were referring to a blog um, and I won't use the <laughs> um, I won't use the word that they uh, refer to you with, but it's got four letters and it begins with a C. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, you came across girls in nightclubs who said nasty things to you um, uh, about your book and I mean that's really just around uh, is it jealousy is yeah, it I don't know it was quite it's such an interesting thing to observe and I mean it was it was one thing already just being on Fair City as I said between the age of 12 and 16 because I you know I was a pretty awkward teenager and I wasn't the most 
aesthetically blessed teenager. So the idea of like being on national television while you're going through puberty and also then obviously the producers decided in the wake of my mother's uh, death um, that I would become a goth, my character would become a goth. So I used to go into RTE every day and they would like smear grease in my hair and paint white on my face. And I was like, oh my God, just as I was like trying to, you know, get a boyfriend in real life I was brilliant <laughs> like I broadcast to the nation looking at my absolute worst so that was like its own thing but yeah then as you say like in the context of Fair City and then a little bit later when the book first came out it was really interesting to observe people's reactions you know as you said people but would... you weren't just observing I mean you were obviously you, well, you sure. must have been yeah. feeling it, as well. yeah absolutely that people will come up you to you can observe now and talk yeah, about it but you're you're, yeah. you're it's quite it's, it's it's quite tough going through your teens anyway and actually your 20s can be quite quite tough too yeah, you yeah, know absolutely and, and people just you know I, I don't know what it is that people's kind of go-to reaction where they're like oh you're the girl from fair city oh yeah you're rubbish like that is just yeah. without even kind of their brain having to make a mental leap like i'm going to be nasty now it just it just rolls off the tongue it's just the automatic oh, thing I, I, yeah um, it's kind of a, it's a fascinating thing and you know it is culturally and i know you're interested in um contrasting cultures i am too but i do think it's a culturally specific thing i think in other countries if you were in different countries, you'd be, I mean, even if you take the, the United States, it'd be, oh my God, you're the one yeah. who wrote the novel. Yeah, that's like, what, yeah it's- that is really interesting. I mean, like, yeah, so it's funny. People always ask me, ask me questions like, oh, you know, did it not go to your head? You know, haven't been on TV and then, you know, the book and stuff and did, you know, what did that do for your confidence and your ego? And I think they always expect me to kind of say that it was a real boost. And obviously, like looking back, look, obviously it was amazing to kind of publish a book at that age and all that. But yeah, as you say, like wrangling, I suppose, with with all of that kind of um blowback and look I also totally acknowledge that in a way I was so lucky that it happened at the time it was now because it was just pre-social media you know like I, yes. I cannot fathom yes. now um, how people cope yeah and especially young people like it's you know just the kind of the constant oh, vitriol and all that and as I said it just seems to be many people's kind of default reactions so yeah even just getting stopped on Grafton Street or in a nightclub or whatever and having nasty things said to you that was bad enough for the idea of being kind of trolled on a daily basis yeah I mean I know one of our other one of our other colleagues in um, Fair City at that time it was kind of a couple of years before our major storyline but she was actually beaten up in a nightclub oh my just God. for being yeah yeah just for being um, God I can't remember I can't remember her character's name but yeah somebody just said to her you're such and such off Fair City and she said yeah and they just laid into her oh girls in a, yeah yeah mad and I mean of course there was mad stories as well where people would confuse you with real characters remember there was another character uh, yeah, yeah, and, but that's like well I mean that's obviously this was, bizarre but also yeah but yeah. this, this no, 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 a, a particular nastiness. So it's, you know, it's not all great um, in Ireland when, 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 when you are well known. I mean, I was fortunate enough. I didn't have um, that much negativity. But you're so right in a way. I forgot that. That was before social media, um, you know, really. Uh, it was just before it. It, it. it didn't exist. And actually, my guest last week, uh, Hilary Freeman, she uh, is actually also a novelist. And she has written, um, she writes young adult. Um, but she's also a journalist. And um, what we spoke about last week was the fact that she was publicly shamed online for 
article that she wrote. Um, she was exploring the conflict between the body positivity movement and trying to get health messaging out about um, how obesity is detrimental to your health. And she wrote that article. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's in the entire episode. But yeah, I mean, um, death threats, not just to her. She laughed those off, but she had a two year old. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And people saying, you know, hope your hope your daughter gets um, cancer and dies an exceedingly slow death. Just awful, awful stuff. I, it, 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 it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, there is there is the thing, isn't it? It's something that fascinates me. Um, you know, how do people flip? I mean, obviously, there's a thing called the cloak of anonymity, you know, mm-hmm. and you see that you see that with trolls, um, you know, but these were sort of ordinary people, too. You know, anyway, that's kind of sidetracking. But it's a good point that you make that at least you kind of went through it before that. But um, it's something that um, uh, it, it just has to change because it does some uh, terrible, terrible things uh, to people. And Caroline Flack actually comes to mind yeah, there course, recently. Yeah. Oh, just just dreadful. People just really need to think before they act. There's real human beings at the other side of the screen or the other side of the, the Twitter profile. Yeah. But going back anyway to your career, reason why I, I'm, you know, one of the reasons, I, I mean, obviously you love all your children, etc. But like just having a daughter like you, I mean, you you have four degrees, I think, at this stage. <laughs> uh, you have, um, and, and I think that's actually kind of a funny thing, really. Um, I didn't go to university when I left school. I left school at 16, actually. So when you were writing your novel, I was working in a life assurance company. Um, I did do my leaving cert, but I just did it very young. Uh, we didn't have transition year uh, back then. And also I kind of had started um, in school relatively young. Um, but actually, I think ultimately you and I were in university around the same time. Ah, because, amazing. <laughs> because I went to university um, after I left First City ah. and um, did a degree in psychology and then got a scholarship to do a PhD. So I was in, you're around the same age, actually, as my eldest son. I think you're a year or so older. And um, I know he was in Trinity the same time I was. Oh, that's nice. That must have been fun, going to lunches. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, but um, ah, yeah, it was grand. Um, but uh, yes, so you you went to Cambridge straight from school, which is pretty um, incredible. Yeah, it was, it was pretty great. I mean, that whole kind of period around... Um, kind of the the summer of 2006 you know I I'm trying to get this in the right order I'm pretty sure the leaving cert results came out and I had got eight A1s and then wow wow the... oh my god let's stop for a moment eight A1s <laughs> yeah, I and I, can, can I say this folks right so when uh, Ruth worked on Fair City sometimes we, we shared dressing rooms or whatever your mum would have to be there because um, you were underage so uh, it was mainly your mum I think was your uh, what was the word you had to have yeah. chaperone mm-hmm. um, but you'd be in the dressing room in between scenes doing your homework for school yeah, I, was a, I was a massive nerd like that's you know I, and I was not <laughs> no, but I think that there's nothing nerdy about yeah. that I mean it's actually you were sitting down d- down doing your homework and just such a nice kid you know well I have to do my homework and then I've learned my lines and you always knew your lines and you always knew your oh it was just great oh, to work with yeah, very professional yeah, yeah, well thanks um, but yeah anyway so I got the leaving results then I think the following week the book came out then we oh went God. to Ayanapa on our sixth year holiday. Then while I was in Ayanapa, I got texts from the lovely woman who is in charge of publicity for the book to be like, good news, the book's just made number one. Mm-hmm. Then got back from Ayanapa and had a couple of weeks to kind of pack my bags and then moved to Cambridge. So wow. it was kind of the most mental month 
ever, really. It's um, pretty, pretty incredible. And my book, my book went to number one. Ooh, high five. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was in the nonfiction charts. Oh, so it doesn't quite. <laughs> it does. It, it it doesn't quite. Oh God, no! I would never be competing <laughs> with my daughter, but uh, uh, and I would never get eight A ones. Um, that's pretty incredible. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So then um, Cambridge was amazing. You studied English? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, I mean, ironically, had I stayed um, in Ireland, my first choice in was to go to Trinity to do English and maths. That was my um, right. my first choice because I was always both um, both those are my two favorite subjects, basically and my two strongest subjects. But at English or uh, at Cambridge, sorry, you could only do one. So yeah, I applied for English, um, and yeah, I couldn't believe I got in, and then I went, and yeah, it was pretty like. I mean, Cambridge is a, it's a pretty unique place. Um, it's pretty bizarre. It really is like, you know, very old school in many ways. Um, it, and Camille, just in terms of women, is it, is it, you know, is, is, is there any overhangs, you know, when you say it's old school oh, yeah. from I mean, a gender absolutely. perspective? I was, I mean, English as a subject tends to be uh, more women than men. So like in terms yeah. of my, my classmates, like there, there was a, a, a good gender balance that, if anything, more women. Um, and I was pretty lucky. The college I went to, because um, Cambridge, you have different colleges and you applied to a specific yes. one. So I went to one called Gonville and Keys, which is one of the more old school ones. And I think um, it's uh, it, the gender makeup of its uh, professorial body probably isn't um, exactly the uh, the greatest. That being said, my director of studies, so the, the academic who was like specifically in charge of me and my kind of progression throughout the three years of my degree was a young woman who had just um, had just been put into that role and I think therefore had a lot to prove and was also just absolutely amazing and she kind of made her business to make sure that me and my classmates really succeeded and honestly like she was incredible and just and just seeing her as I said this young woman who was kind of surrounded by these old white men and she was determined to succeed and we kind of wanted to succeed almost to like you know make her look good because because she was incredible and she uh yeah she so I owe a lot to her is it, it yeah well isn't it amazing now just so far since we've been talking you know you've mentioned two females who have 
you know, helped and supported and championed you. Mm. Um, it's kind of fantastic to hear that. You know, that does happen. Obviously, it does happen. But also, I think sometimes, um, you know, the reverse happens because we feel sometimes women can feel there's only, you know, X number of spaces for women and I've got mine and, and you know, I'm not going to let you kind of threaten me, you know. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I know what you mean. Um, but she, yeah, she was kind of, and she was, and look, I was, I was definitely, um, and this isn't me being modest. It was, it was very daunting coming into Cambridge, not only because, there were, I mean, there were very few Irish there, like um, especially yes. at undergrad level, just because obviously at that point, like, you know, university is basically free in Ireland and it very much isn't in the UK. So um yeah, you just didn't, like, I was the only um, kind of Irish undergrad that I knew, really. Um, and also, fundamentally, because, you know, all the Brits had done the A-levels, so they had only done three subjects for their final exams, whereas I had done eight. You did eight, which you didn't have to do. I you only was, had to do six. Oh, yeah, it's good to have a spare and then <laughs> for luck. Um, so I was obviously, like, I was good at English, but I had only devoted kind of one-eighth of my time. To, time to yeah, So in terms of, like, how much I had read or how much I had I was really playing catch up when I arrived like I remember so okay. clearly in my first week of, of of lectures like one girl turning to me and being like how many Shakespeare plays have you read and I was like um I'm pretty sure we did one for the junior cert one, yeah, for, the one for the leave that's, that's two and she was like oh my god and I was like oh god so yeah I felt really um and I didn't like I didn't do very well in my first year like I in my exams just by your standards I'm sure you're no, just no, saying no, like, that, no. I, I fully I like I got a two two at the end of my first year um and I which is obviously a Cambridge two two is, is not awful but as in I was like yeah. okay um but as I said well coming from eight a1s yeah, you know yeah, I'm sure yeah. that so kind I, of impacted like, on you but I was I was kind of um I was like okay that's where I'm at, I'm at now so but then you know keep going and then but then as I said in large part thanks to the the support of of, of Dr Bowman as she was called um yeah then you know at the end of first year then or sorry at the end of second year I managed to get a first and then in my finals I got a first as well so excellent uh, wow amazing amazing Um, and and what I wanted to ask you as well is you said you've all you were always a a, you know a creative child from 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 you know the outset and Cambridge you know were were you involved or did you have time to be involved in any of the footlights or any of the theatre work yeah, there or funny. like I think I thought I would be more involved to be honest like so I remember I did a play in my first term and um, it was very funny actually I met a lot of people doing that play in my first term who remain um some of my closest friends today so we had a very cast and crew we had a good a good bunch and it was so funny like I remember playing it was a David Hare play and I remember playing um the role of the Irish prostitute and <laughs> my parents came over to visit the weekend that the play was on and my brother came and my three best friends from home came so they all came to see the play and there was me on stage acting the role of the Irish prostitute and I was like why do I think this is a good idea anyway um, <laughs> and then I never did the play again that was it that was the only right. time I've actually acted because I think at that point also like needless to say Cambridge is seriously intense like the terms yes. are so it's just the time thing like you have to you have to write at least an essay a week um it's it's non-stop like you're and also like you're I was suddenly in this new country with all these new friends and you know so great you know a bit of socializing as yeah. well but the work was really full on also fundamentally I had another 
book under contract. So, um, wow. so yeah. writing the next book alongside my Cambridge degree, alongside being homesick alongside having a boyfriend having, time, yeah. yeah so all of that so basically the acting took the back seat um, yeah. and it hasn't I mean, really come back since yeah well you're still young we'll see, see what happens or where it goes but um, you yeah, know I was the same because I went to uh, university after uh, as you sort of alluded to there my character Tess was was murdered by your father in the show <laughs> <laughs> and then he kidnapped you guys but um, yeah I, I went to university afterwards and I thought while I was still studying for my undergrad degree that um, I would keep my acting up. Um, but it's probably a bit like you as well. You know, I would be very competitive um, and, I, you know, I wanted to kind of get the best results I, I, I could and I found myself that I actually didn't do any acting at all. Um, I just focused on the, the studying and did pretty much. This is why, I, 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 no offence to your real mum, but, you know, um, I happily, <laughs> happily have you my, as my daughter. Yeah, I got first class honours every year and came first in class oh, wow. every year as well. But... Um, I, so, so I do. I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from on that as well. You know, there's a certain. I adored acting and loved acting, um, but then you get focused on something, and you know, you want to be the best at that. Um, and and plus, I loved. I mean, I my undergrad was psychology, so it's 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 human behavior, and then my PhD was in the Institute of Neuroscience, which is understanding the relationship between human behavior and the brain. And to be honest, that's part of the reason I loved acting. Um, I'm, I'm sure maybe you can kind of connect with that. It's about understanding why someone would behave in a particular way to be that character you know you have to it's not about the words um it's about well what's the motivation sounds like such an artsy thing but actually that's what I mean genuinely you know what is kind of going on inside their brain that would cause them to to act um like that but and and that was something I was thinking about when I was reading about you and how um you you talked as you as so you, you you did book one and book two fairly close together and while you're doing a degree is it's pretty incredible um, and then I think I'm correct me if I'm wrong around the time you were doing book three um, was it that someone people sort of started to describe you as a chick author yeah I mean to be honest I think that happened kind of straight away I mean God knows the cover of my first book is bright pink and has little hearts all over it and I think I was described as the love child of Cecilia Hearn and Rosa Carl Kelly which I, oh, it's not bad I kind of love <laughs> it's it's uh, thing. Yeah. I wish you know it followed me around uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the book was very much, the books were very much packaged and marketed as as a specific type of book, and and you know the chick lit genre was um, was was very much mentioned. And then you know the third book I wrote, and you know obviously the the books thus far had been pretty autobiographical, and book three was no different. Really, it was all about an Irish girl who goes off to Cambridge um, to study, and then she. Um, and this is where the book is not autobiographical. She um, experiences, um, she's basically raped. Um, yeah. And the book kind of deals with that. And, th- and that was a really interesting moment because I remember writing that book and actually having to do quite a lot of research as I said, because fortunately it's not something that I have first-hand experience of. And I worked with the kind of Rape Crisis Centre in Dublin and, and did some interviews yeah. and stuff there. I did counselling for them too. Right. Yeah, point. I mean, an amazing, an amazing set of women there. Um, but, and then I remember being sent the kind of proof uh, copy or the advanced copy of what the cover for book three was going to look like and you could see that you know it was bright and it had flowers on it and I was just like guys no like come on this is actually quite a dark book and the subject matter deserves kind of respect and gravity and whatever but they were just so eager that you know I was I would continue to fit the mold of very kind of commercial upbeat coming of age 
party party books um so we kind of we wrangled a little bit on that and came up with something that like was a kind of happy medium but I think that was the point at which I started to realize a that like I was interested maybe in starting to move away from the kinds of books that I'd written previously and b that like my publishers weren't necessarily going to be delighted with me doing that yeah. um so yeah so basically what followed was well actually what followed and I don't talk about this very often but I did actually write book number four um and it was a complete disaster because on the one hand I was interested in kind of moving away from that commercial mode and writing something more kind of research-based and a bit more literary or whatever you want to call it and my publishers really weren't and I wanted to keep them happy so I was trying to write this hybrid thing that was kind of neither one thing nor the other um and it was it was rubbish and my editor read it and was like oh Ruth um, we're not sure about this now um so basically what I ended up doing was saying you know what I think I need to take a sit back here and figure out what it is I actually yeah. want to do um and and very very mature and I, I mean I did read that uh, you know I, you've, I before I do these podcasts I always feel like a stalker but it's you know <laughs> it's kind of well no it's important to kind of go and kind of get you know whatever insights and find things that that interest me and that did jump out to me too you know that and, and I think it's an important lesson also for people to learn and we all do it you know is is you know when you try to please everybody sometimes it's you that actually kind of gets thrown out of the mix and very fortunately you were mature enough to realize oh okay, well, I can't write what I want to write and please them. So I'm going to go and write what I want to write. Lots of people would go the other route, you know, and I, I think it's so important because um, at the end of the day, finding something that you love is is love and can lose yourself in is really the key to happiness and, and to um, satisfaction in a way in life rather than, um, and, and I mean, I get the sense that you would have felt uh, that you weren't being true to yourself. I think one of the reasons I kind of raised that issue around the, the chiclet and nothing wrong with chiclet or you know anything like that this this for me is more about an, an issue of you being able to follow you know I, I don't usually use the term the gut but you know follow where you wanted to go you were growing you wrote your first book at 16 you have different interests and obviously sadly that interest in you know writing and the need to write about um, rape was a, as a consequence of rape culture um, which sadly is still ongoing in universities and something that we need more tackled more Um but also there was the issue really around, I, I, I guess you can kind of call it a sexism of a sort where, um, you know, there was other young men writing books um, who weren't sort of put in a box and their books were, were looked at for what they were. And I think even you mentioned in one interview about someone being nominated for a man Booker Prize, you know, who was along a similar time as, as you when you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I'm kind of... Um on the one hand, I appreciate that, like, the book that I wrote around that time, like, I'm not saying it was a work of, like, literary genius, but it did make me very, as you say, conscious to quite how gendered the industry is. And and, and also just, like, there's a real snobbishness about different genres and different types of book. And as you say, unfortunately, that falls along gender lines very often. What was most interesting to me, to be honest, is the way that people often invite me to talk about this kind of transition I suppose that I went on um in retrospect like they they, they're very keen for me to to say something aligns along the lines of you know I used to write these kind of silly chick litty book but then I took a break and now I write serious proper literary fiction and 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 I really hate that because I I just I think again that is to say that like you know to say that someone like Marion Keys isn't 
a genius is is insane because like her books are brilliant and so I'm actually yeah and- yeah I'm actually reading her grown-ups at the moment almost finished you know and and I mean they're 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 fantastic and 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 the thing is you know it's like saying one type of music is better than another yeah. type of music these are in a sense I suppose for our entertainment I think they're hugely important at, actually at the moment and and you know in terms of self-isolating during COVID and all those times but also you know aside from from the current pandemic that we're living through loneliness um you know is is very detrimental to health and and books can help people hugely um you know you can find friends in a book as you read a book and you can find yourself in a book in you know if somebody else is going through something similar it can often sort of help with self self awareness or help you seek solutions and i don't think it matters what the genre is no and i think people who have i think some of the character insights and the way that they are able to capture the nuance of social interaction and everyday existence is ex- extraordinary but because of the way that they get marketed and talked about and pigeonholed um they are you know for many people deemed somehow superior or further down on some bizarre literary hierarchy that exists so i as i said i was really keen after the fact to make it clear that i didn't feel like i'd kind of graduated onto like a higher plane i mean to be honest like and as my mother also likes to point out you know i will never sell as many copies of a book as i did <laughs> when i wrote those early those earlier books um but for me it was as you said it was it was partly you know I, i'd grown up i i'd done a degree in english and then went on to do a couple more and i read a lot and i just found my taste changing and it was just about doing something different not something better not something more serious just different and, and that yeah, was what i was yeah. interested in pursuing well that's what i was going to say about the authors of, of so-called chiclet or whatever you want to call it popular fiction um you know the, the laugh is on their side because they make absolutely millions and the fact of the matter is there is a market there for it is what people want and I mean I found that when you know when I was um, there's sort of a similar snobbery I, I think that snobbery exists sort of in a lot of places I mean we would have felt it we, I, I certainly you mightn't have noticed it as a young teenager because you were kind of um, you know kind of busy going through that sort of angst while you're on the TV but I mean I noticed it that snobbery oh you're a soap actor do you know, yeah, you know what I mean yeah, like in a hierarchy yeah. you'd be a theatre actor now I never really particularly had I, I'm fully trained as a theatre um, actor but because my interest and motivation was understanding characters and creating it TV appe- appeals to me much more because it's not about the repeating the performance every night it's about the understanding it and getting it right so actually soap was fab um, for me but um, yeah also somehow that that acting in soap is, is lesser but actually to be honest to look good on soap you actually have to be pretty exceptional because everything is done so quickly on such low budgets no, you know you have no music to tell the story you watch any you know movie the music is telling you what to think the lighting the atmosphere you have none of that I mean remember our, we'd be in the living room of our house where most of our scenes were and you had what I'd call the three Daleks in front of you which was three cameras <laughs> that they never moved and, and, and everything was shot at, at the one time your close up plus your three angle wide shot plus your two shot now if you're making a film you have to kind of make quite your performance much much smaller you know for your close up and then it's different you know yeah. for for, yeah, for your wider so true, shot yeah. and I mean when you're when you're on when you're on soap there's there's no choice in that and it's there's no can I do it again I wasn't happy it's once the technical people are happy that's it that's a wrap move on <laughs> and in fact on the soap when we worked on it the teams used to have competitions who could finish the earliest each day yeah. <laughs> and also we were remind me if correct or if I'm wrong I think we were there when it went from three episodes to four episodes a week so yeah. like the turnaround was just like I was just, insane just a, like you're making two hours of telly 
a week, like from scratch. Yeah, like, and I mean, for for anybody not familiar, if you're if you're working on film, you'd probably be lucky if you if you make a, a minute of film a day. Um, you know, if it's if it's proper, you know, kind of movie stuff, it's 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 just an entirely different. Yeah, that's a really good parallel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and the, the snobbery also exists. Um, I think in academia, um, and I can only speak for myself here. You know, in terms of um, uh, you know, publications, it's certainly on the science end of things. I don't know how it works in um, the more literary side, but uh, certainly in the science end, it's about publication and publication in academic, in in nature, and and you know your H factor and all that sort of thing. And whereas for me, um, I want to have impact. Um, I started very late in university. I'm never going to have hundreds and hundreds of academic papers. But I also found that that wasn't my driver. My real driver is actually to take that science, to take that research, translate it, make it easy to understand so that people can um, be more proactive about their health, in my own case, about their brain health. But also I talk about um, other issues like, because that's what struck me when I was doing my PhD, was reading tons of literature and going, oh my God, there are risk factors for dementia. You could reduce those. And how come I don't know that? Or how come I don't know that you can boost the growth of the neurons in your brain? You know, and then I realized nobody knew it. But yet there's been publications on them going back to the 80s. And, you know, the, the information just wasn't making, breaking out from academic literature. Um, and so that's where I found sort of my passion um, and sort of it, it probably a little bit in, in, in the reverse of you. You know, I found my passion in saying, well, actually, I want to I want to be accessible to the masses. It means more to me to do that than have a nature publication. And so that's what I focus on. Um, and I'm perfectly happy doing that. I love that. But I still think there's a snobbery. And actually also within universities, there's no real recognition of that. So for promotion, it's around, well, how many publications, how many this, how many that, but nothing about the impact. Having said that, in fairness, the university gave me an award. Um, the province gave me an award for the impact of my work. But in the regular sort of scheme of things, um, there isn't. For now, that's all we have time for. But Ruth and I continue our chat in next week's episode. My name is Sabina Brennan and you've been listening to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Super Brain on Apple, Spotify, Google, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, if you loved it, rate it, review it and share it. 